All right, well, a little bit of uh, business this morning. So um, the, this verse won't be on the screen, but you can either trust me or look it up in your Bible. It's in Proverbs, um, and Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 tells us um, what I consider to be some of the very basic concepts of, of wisdom. The first one is, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The second one is, don't lean on your own understanding. Um, anytime you hear me use that kind of sarcastic phrase that I use sometimes when I say, have you ever met you? Um, have we ever met us? This is what I'm talking about. The fact that we are not trustworthy sources for much of anything at all. That if you're leaning on your own understanding, you're going to find yourself on the ground because it's going to give out from under you. And so we do our very best to, to trust not in our own understanding, but instead to acknowledge the Lord and trust in Him and to seek His way and ask for His guidance. Um, and that's a big part of what our leadership at the church is doing consistently is asking those types of questions. Um, that's also part of why the song that we sang, um, the, the song Be Thou My Vision, is kind of our theme song. We either sing or at least pray through the concepts of that just about every leadership board meeting um, in order to prepare ourselves for the fact that we want Him to be our vision, we want Him to be our best thought, we want Him to be our wisdom and not ours. That we're not impressed by our own thoughts or our own visions, our own understandings, but that's, that's where we're going. And of course, we're still uh, flawed and frail people and we still mess it up all the time, but that's the goal, is that's where we're looking. So to, in, in order to, um, the reason I'm telling you that is um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a, a vote on changes to the bylaws. <clears throat> now, most of you are pretty much completely unaware of the church bylaws, um, blissfully unaware of the church bylaws, and which is totally fine. I, I would love for you to be interested in them, and, and if that's something that is intriguing to you, um, you have a different ways for us to have this conversation. The main way this got started was the deacons of the church realized and looked at the, the deacon section of the bylaws, and it was very specific. had a lot of very detailed instructions that had to be followed in a very detailed way on certain months and certain days and certain things. And it had become very unwieldy when they would say, well, we want to shift this vote from this day till this day or from this month to this month, or we want to shift this number of people or how we handle people wanting to become deacons or not be deacons and, and questions along those lines. And right now, if it's in the bylaws, every single little change would have to be voted on by the whole church every time there was a change. And so that's, that's, they said, well, what we want to do is we want to take huge sections of the deacon section of the bylaws and put that into a handbook, and then that handbook can be determined by the deacons with the oversight of the leadership board with the philosophical, the basic understandings being still in the bylaws, like the, the basic bare minimum that needs to be there so that the church would have to vote to change any of those. That's the biggest change that's happening. There are a few other changes. The leadership board is getting a few additional responsibilities. Um, in regards to it. So um, for the most part, and we're not, not like we're changing the statement of faith or, or who we are as a church or anything like that. Um, if you're interested, if you say, man, and I, by the way, I would love for everybody to be interested in this. I, I think it's fascinating, um, just, but that's true of the budget meetings too, and no one comes to those. And so it's a, um, I, I think that's a great, hopefully that's a sign of trust, not disinterest. Um, but if you're interested in this, um, we will have a handful of copies out there uh, by the welcome desk and the, excuse me, at the information desk. 
Um, but they're, they're pretty thick and they're color because we have to delineate what's being cut and what's being added and, and things like that. What would be better is if you're interested in this is you send Elizabeth Smith an email and ask for an emailed copy. Um, esmith at southspring.org. And if you send it to esmith at southspring.org, she will email you a copy that's color that you can look at and, and see how you feel about the different changes or think about them. And then the next two Wednesday nights at 5.30, we'll meet in here at 5.30, and the youth will be coming in at 6.30, but we'll meet in here for 5.30. If we need to move out of here, we can, um, just depending on who all's here. But we'll start our meeting here um, and discuss the changes in the bylaws and, and that we're looking at having. And then in two weeks, we'll have a vote at the end of the service. It'll be like our budget vote. It'll be, yes, I support the changes to the bylaws, or no, I don't support the changes to the bylaws, and the majority will, will carry the day. Um, there won't be discussion that day. So if this is something you're interested in, want to be a part of, awesome. Get a copy or ask for an emailed copy. Would it be even better? And then, um, and then you can come to those meetings if you have any questions and that kind of stuff. Good? Any questions right now? Any, any about? No? Okay. Good. Um, all right. Jumping into uh, our conversations um, in regards to Daniel. So we're back to Daniel. We've been looking the last few weeks um, at, a, at a way of thinking that I think only um, has continued to be unpacked as we've looked at it, important. I'm going to start today actually, though, with a passage from Hebrews chapter 10 that we looked at last week. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, for all of us who are here and those who are online, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we've been talking about not the day, not the day that's drawing near. We've been talking about the days when people are going to be able to come more easily again. When we will be, you know, filling in not every other row, but every row. When we will encourage people to come um, all together. And when we get to that 150 number, the, the, the room in here won't meaningfully change. It may change some, but won't change much. But that will allow us to have more people come uh, to come to student ministry, to come to adult uh, Bible studies on Sunday morning, to, to be involved in a lot of different things. And we want to be prepared for the day when we need 300 people to be invested and engaged in the vibrant children's ministry that we have going on here. And that's what we've talked about the last few weeks is to encourage you. And we did see a significant increase through those days. We're now up to about 125 people, I think, who have signed up. Many of those people need to finish your paperwork. So if you don't know if you're done with your paperwork, you still need to finish your paperwork. But, um, and for the other 25 people who I assume God is laying it on their hearts to sign up as well, that you go ahead and do that sooner rather than later. And that will allow us to take that next step. I know that right now COVID is uh, alive and active in Tyler. In fact, I listened to an international podcast about COVID and Tyler, Texas, uh, yay, got mentioned on it um, for the per capita increase, be, us being in like the top 10 per capita increase. So our, our city got international fame yesterday. Yay. So it's kind of the, um, uh, so we know that it's a real deal and people aren't ready. And right, if, if you're someone who, who still is engaged in that and, and are taking your time and holding back, there's probably great wisdom in some of that stuff. That's why we take some of the precautions we do. And God has blessed us so far that as far as we know, we have not had any um, spreading of COVID through our Sunday morning experiences, which is really amazing, kind of miraculous. And so we're, we're pleased with that. That being said, we understand it, but there still will come a day, I believe, when we're going to be able to fill in these seats. 
and go back to like we were a year ago, where in this, in this, in this meeting there might be 630 people in the room. And so we would, we'd like to get back to that, and we need to be prepared for it. Now, that's not the day being talked about here, <clears throat> as far as we know. And they may overlap, but as far as we know, the, the, the day being talked about here by Daniel is the day. The last day. And we're going to be talking more about this as we unpack the last couple of chapters of the book of Daniel. So, um, as before we come back to that, we are studying the book of Daniel. I thought I would remind you um, that we're studying the book of Daniel um, largely because now, uh, almost two years ago, easily a year and a half ago, um, we started talking as we were looking at what do we want to study next. And I told the guys I was really thinking I really wanted to talk next through Daniel because I felt like we were on the cusp, we were on the verge of facing an experience in America where the gospel of Jesus Christ and those who espouse the gospel of Jesus Christ and trust in Scripture would face a less friendly environment. That was before COVID that we started having this conversation. It is fascinating to me. It hasn't played out exactly the way that I would have guessed at it, but, but the truth is now we, I think we're seeing this more than we ever would have thought, a fast-forwarding of that experience more than we maybe ever would have thought. As we're seeing some of the basic tenets of what we believe coming under attack, and here's what's interesting. Now we're getting to a place very quickly in a very short amount of time. Some of you may be experiencing this as well. Where the practice and application of the teachings of Jesus Christ are not merely under attack from the secular left, but now from the irreligious right. So that we no longer find ourselves, big surprise, we find ourselves strangers in a strange land. This is exactly what was told. This is exactly what we should have known was coming and why we were looking at the book of Daniel, who was truly a stranger in a strange land. Now, he was taken out of his nation and moved to a different nation. What we've watched is our nation change so radically in the last 50 or 60 years that it becomes almost, it's becoming almost recognizable, at least to us as Christians. And so more and more you're going to be, and I'm facing, and you're going to be facing this sense that when you take the stance and you go, but, but, but here's what Jesus teaches, that you're not just going to get the, the negative criticism from the secular left who walked away from the authority of Scripture 60, 70 years ago or further, but now from this group of people who don't want to be restrained, who don't want to be at peace who don't want to have their fun canceled by the Christians who are saying, but here's what the Bible says about how we're supposed to live our lives. And so not as a, it should not be a surprise to us that we will find ourselves politically, and I don't mean politi- politics as in we, ha- we would have ways we should vote biblically, but I mean that there's going to be yet again a sense of isolation for us as Christians that we are someone who doesn't fit in in our culture. So either... We will some point in the way see a great awakening. We, so either we're seeing this over here, this is, as I wrote about this, this idea that you have, a, you have two new religions. And one is the, the social justice religion. And there's nothing wrong with social justice as an application of faith at times, but the idea that social justice is now what we worship. And, and there are certain, I mean, you, could, you can build out the secular left as a, you could, if you start with it as a religion, it fits. And then you look over to the irreligious right, and they have their religion, the cult of personality, 
and the desire for personal freedom that everything has to be sacrificed at the altar of. And this is also not Christian. And we're going to face, I'm telling you, this, this division is only going to grow, and the church is going to find ourselves, hopefully, like a city on a hill, like a bright light in a dark place, like salt where everything else is just salt in wounds, we will be salt on food, something positive experience that we can have the lights on. And that as people begin to drift away from either of these irreligious religions, looking for something that is real, our church, the church, will be where they can find a home. We won't move. That's something that has to be the case. And as both teams are trying to drag us in one direction or another, that we're able to say, but this is the gospel. And that we're still standing there as the waves that we talked about last week, as the waves wash people to and fro, that they will be able to come back to something that is true because it's true whether we like it or know it or believe it, it's still true. And that's where we are. And it's fascinating to me that as we're studying Daniel about the end times and about this world that is unfriendly to the faith, that we get to be agents of peace in a world that has no peace. Oh, so, these questions are being answered, the nature of reality and the purpose of human life, of your life and mine, and Christ has an answer for us, and we'll find that we don't have any allies except Jesus Christ. That's okay. He's enough. So we pick up in Daniel 11. It's good for you to know that this idea, as we move into, recall that each vision, each dream, each experience, even each section of Daniel is kind of a unpacking of other sections. You get more and more detail. You get just a tiny bit of detail, then more detail, then more detail. So obviously in chapter 11 and 12, the last two chapters, we're going to get the most detail. As we wrap up, we're going to see that. It's freakish. The level of detail that we get about what is future for Daniel when he wrote this is pretty impressive. It's kind of crazy. We'll talk about some of it. So where we pick up the account... In Daniel chapter 11, it is the third year after Darius the Mede has taken over the city of Babylon from the Babylonians. So he's a Mede, part of the Medo-Persian armies. He was almost certainly, I'm I'm completely convinced, I could be wrong, but I'm convinced anyway, um, that this was Gobrias, one of the generals of the the Medo-Persian army, who now runs the city of Babylon. Um, Most of this that Daniel's going to write, almost all of it, is future from Daniel's perspective. So when Daniel wrote it in the 600 to 500 BC, when he wrote it, it was almost all of it was in his future. Most of it is now an hour past here in 2021. Most of what we're going to read happened. It's already happened. It had not happened when Daniel wrote it. It has happened by now, and we'll look at some of that. So we get to see, did it match up? Did it fit? Did it work? Um, essentially anything in the Bible about our future, again, not just Daniel's, but our future, is known in Christian circles as the end times. If you've not grown up in church, that may sound freaky or weird, the end times. It sounds like we're trying to be all scary and, and whatever. It's just the term we call the eschatology, the study of the end times, what we call that. It's what we get from, from the Bible. You get phrases like the day, like we saw in Hebrews, or the day of the Lord. Or you get all types of references to it. You get battles named like Armageddon, and we'll talk about that in the next few chap- next couple chapters. 
Common Christian doctrine holds that there is an end to human history. There's an end to the history that began with God saying, I've now created you, you now have dominion over the earth. There will come an end to that when we will not be leading delegated power, we will be directly under his leadership on a new earth, under a new heaven. That's, that's fundamental Christian doctrine. There will be a day when Jesus comes back. So, for now, we're unpacking more and more what we're getting through. I don't want to assume everybody grew up in church and knows these terms. So that's what we're going to be talking about eventually. Not yet, but eventually in Daniel chapter 12 especially. In Daniel chapter 10, which gives us the background for Daniel 11, Daniel reported that he had been fasting, praying, and mourning for three weeks, for 21 days. He was grieved about the condition of his people, so he ate no delicacies for 21 days. Um, fasting like this is meant to draw our attention. When you fast like this, it's meant to remind us to be praying, remind us when you feel the hunger pains or when you really want that certain special thing, that item as you go, oh, that would be so good. Um, I, I actually told um, some of the counselors in my office this week um, that I was going to start, I was starting a new kind of a ramping up for the last couple of weeks of January, my diet regime, I'm going to be even more careful. So of course, on Thursday, somebody delivered cupcakes. And and listen, this is a pattern that is so unreally, like I can predict it. If I really want a snack, apparently what I need to do is announce that I'm dieting. Um, The next day, some sweet neighbors of ours brought us these really nice glazed um, pecans. Literally open up the door on the front, on the porch, there's a whole package of glazed pecans. Like, right, of course, because day day two of me dieting. Like this is a, I'm telling you, it happened. I, I now take pictures of it and record it. It's so predictable. This is, it's meant to be a reminder when you go, oh, look, awesome glazed pecans. I'm going to not have any. <laughs> so I'm going to pray instead, right? Um, mostly prayers of forgiveness. So, the, uh, so this is what he's doing. It's a fast is meant to remind us. Either the hunger pains or the lack of being able to do something that we want is meant to remind us, I need to, I need to look back to God for this. I need to look to God for my provision. I need to look to God for my solution, etc. So then Daniel's on a walk in the wilderness after 21 days, and suddenly he's in the presence of what I now think is the person of Jesus Christ. Now let me, let me comment. One of the things I want to give feedback and even push back to people who are right now very concerned about our nation is to ask the question, how much fasting and praying and mourning have you been doing? This is, this is a great, I mean, this is for me as well. To go, before we just complain and post, I know many people think posting something on Facebook is equivalent to a prayer, but it's not. It, it isn't. And like, I guess and you're posting on God's page. It's, a, it's, it's, not, it's not what that is for us to be looking to God and saying, God, this is in your hands and this is for you, and I want to be so well disciplined and reminded of this that I will fast and pray and mourn. That would be a totally appropriate response for the church, for members of the church. So Daniel's on this walk in the wilderness, and here's what happens. I lifted up my eyes, Daniel 10, 5, and 6. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So you can go back a couple of, a few months, and you can, we unpacked Daniel chapter 10, that section there. But all of my life, I had resisted the idea, the interpretation that this was the person of Jesus Christ. Here's why. I thought this was the same person who just a few verses later was going to say they needed help 
from the prince of Persia. They needed help against the prince of Persia from someone else. And, and I couldn't buy that Jesus Christ would need help against whatever this force called the prince of Persia is. I couldn't buy that. Well, what's changed is not that. However, with continued study, the influence of John and Paul in particular, um, I still believe that Jesus would not have needed help and didn't. It just wasn't Jesus who was saying that. I've now become convinced that there's a second person and actually a third and fourth person who are present here in addition to Daniel. Um, This is a different person that Daniel is interacting with on the banks of the Tigris River. And Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is hovering above the Tigris River and speaking in such a voice that it overwhelms even the force of the river, the noise of the river. Um, I think there may be three or more angelic presences in addition to the second person of the Trinity. And think about what an amazing honor this is for Daniel. Humble Daniel, 90 years old, taking a walk in the wilderness. And not only does Gabriel, probably Gabriel, and an angelic messenger show up again, which is a huge honor. I don't know about you, but that's not happened to me. And these other two show up. This entourage shows up in his presence as well. But then the second person of the Trinity shows up. First service, what struck me as I was talking about this, and I hadn't planned on talking about this, was a few years ago, um, one of the great kind of cool things about being a pastor is that I have access to people that I should otherwise not have access to. Um, People who are members of our church, especially, who I can just reach out to and they will meet with me and they'll hang out with me. And they'll talk with me, and they're people who they probably, I might not make it on their schedule book if I wasn't their pastor. It's a really cool thing. So there was a meeting a few years ago when I was getting ready to make some changes in the staff and, and to try to change up some job descriptions and that kind of stuff, but I wanted to get some wisdom. And so I asked, these, asked three men, and they're all three humble men, and I, I, I love to give people credit, but I really think if I named these three guys, they'd be upset at me. So I'm not going to do it at this point because I want them to be for example, willing to meet with me. And so they, um, so I scheduled and said, hey, send an email. Hey, would you guys be willing to meet with me? And it, it didn't even strike me even at the time that I was asking these three significant men in the community to schedule an hour or two with me at the same time. So these are probably three men whose schedules aren't easily, you don't, don't easily coincide. On top of that, so I go in <laughs> and, and they're sitting in this, and one of them says, yeah, come to my office We'll meet, and I go, and I get up. He goes, one of them says, you want some coffee? I said, yeah, and I went out and got some coffee, and I turned around and walked back, and I stood in the doorway and saw these three men sitting there waiting for me to come sit down, and I thought, what would this cost me? I mean, how much would it, what kind of check would I have to cut at the end of this meeting if these men had not been happy to meet with me just because they're part of the church where I am? I figure, I, I estimated, I think conservatively, it was a $5,000 an hour meeting, be my guess. And, and so... And these guys met with me for a couple of hours like it was, sure, we'd love to. And, and that's, a, that's stuck, stuck with me as one of the neat things about being a part of the church. Probably for almost any of us, any member of this church, if you emailed them and said, hey, could I get some time with you? They would probably make time just out of their love for the brotherhood and sisterhood of the church. Here, as important as those three, these three men were, they aren't Gabriel and Jesus Christ who not only schedule a meeting with Daniel, but they are the ones who show up to give this meeting to Daniel. At this stage in the first service, I had absolutely no intention of doing this to myself when I said, how hard would it be to schedule a meeting with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, with the person for whom, by whom, and through whom all things were created, the author and perfecter of my faith. Or the one who sealed me and adopted me. 
And what immediately struck me was these three men who I, you know, with apologies to Don McLean, who I admire most, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, this would be, these are men who are waiting for me to schedule to meet with them. These three persons have said, uh, yeah, I'd love for you to meet with us more often. And I was, I was, I was, I got half part way through. I had to actually stop for a second and go like, I need to deal with my conviction now for a minute. Just give me a second to kind of breathe through the level of conviction that just got poured out on me as I realized how much honor I give these three men who deserve it. And yet I could also be meeting with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit a whole lot more often than I do and don't. So I would encourage us all to be rethinking who we're scheduling time with sometimes. Sorry. That was not planned to be part of the sermon. So the one, who, the one who speaks to Daniel, who many assume is Gabriel, begins to tell Daniel about things that are to come. Again, most of this is in Daniel's future, and most of it is in our past. That's where we're going to pick up. Daniel chapter one, verse 11, verse 1. As for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. This is the angel speaking. So the angel had shown up three years before to encourage Darius. This would have been about the time Darius was putting Daniel in the lion's den, by the way. Verse 2, And now I shall show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Now, none of this is particularly surprising. This part of it is not all that surprising to Daniel. It's a reminder of the statue. We have a picture of the statue that goes back, way back all the way into Daniel's, into the letter, into the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And then the four creatures that were revealed to Daniel as well. So we unpacked a little bit with the statue. We unpacked it even more with the creatures, and now we're going to unpack even further. So, of course, you have the Babylonian head, the great lion. Then you have the Medo-Persian Empire who is being led at this time in history of Daniel by Cyrus and by Cyrus's general over the city of Babylon, um, Darius, who we talked about. There's going to be three more generals, Cam, um, three more emperors, Cambyses and Smerdus and Darius. So this is Darius the Persian, and Darius the Persian is going to initiate a conflict with the Greeks, but it's going to be pretty tiny. It's not a big deal. So we don't know if the fourth king being described here is Darius. It certainly would apply to his son, Xerxes. So Darius um, sends a foray into Greece. It doesn't go so well. He comes back, dies before he can rebuild the army to go back and take Greece. Because at that point, they had, Persia had conquered most of the known world, except this little city, these little group of city-states. So Xerxes, who is deeply offended that the Greeks would fend off his father, um, builds up an army to go invade the nation of Greece. You know who Xerxes is, even if you're not a student of history, I'm one, if you're a student of the Bible, because Xerxes is the husband of Esther. Um, and the story, it helps you understand, if you've never studied the story of Esther, it helps you understand that the story of Esther is not a romance story. Um, Xerxes was a few bricks short of a load, and he, was a, he believed himself God on earth, um, was, had all types of things going on with him. He was not a nice guy. It is not a pleasant story to read. It is a story about God putting a, a young woman in a position to change the world. Um, through someone like Xerxes, one of the most powerful men, probably the second, maybe the second or third most powerful man to ever live in his own time. You also know of Xerxes. What else is Xerxes famous for? The 300 Spartans. So Xerxes is the one who raises up a big old army 
Somewhere between, depending on which historian you believe, the 300,000 Persian soldiers, maybe up to, according to some historians, 2 million Persian soldiers, and then marched from the Persian Empire down into Greece. Runs into a narrow tight spot called Thermopylae, the Gates of Fire, and 300 Spartans plus several thousand Greeks decide to stop him there, and they do for about seven days. Finally, he gets around them and is able to defeat this small group with his hundreds of thousands over about five or 6,000 Greeks. But they hold him for seven days because of a formation called the Phalanx, which I'll be teaching about in the, uh, to the men on Saturday. Um, and so they finally get around. But then he faces the Greeks in two more battles, and one of them is a naval battle and one of them is on land, and they both go very badly for Xerxes. And in the end, Xerxes has to go home with his tail tucked between his legs, um, leaving behind probably 250,000 dead Persians in the Greek um, city-states. That's what's going on there. It is exactly what the, what the angel told Gabriel, that there would be a, first, a fourth one and he would bring a, stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. That's who we're dealing with. Then, according to verse 3, then a mighty king will arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. This is Alexander the Great, quite obviously. As soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven. Not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside these. Now, so so you'll know, we can go in as much detail as we want to in Daniel chapter 11, but Daniel chapter 11 tells the history in advance of the Greek empire. So it it, it tells it before it happened. You could use it as chapter headings in a Greek history book. Or you could pull out the words North King and put in a name everywhere in here. The, North, the kingdoms can just be named. It's so specific, it follows along. So this king, who as soon as he arises, will be broken. his kingdom will be broken, divided to the four winds, not to his posterity, meaning not his children, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. It's not united. This kingdom will be plucked and given to others. This is Alexander the Great. So listen to this. So this is, this is still, we're still 200 or so years when Daniel's writing this. You're still about 200 years from this stuff happening-ish. Alexander conquered almost all of the known world at the time, then died suddenly at age 32, around 300 B.C. His only, his only child that we know of for sure was his child. There was another child that was brought forward that was claimed to be his child, but it was never really clarified but it doesn't matter, neither one of them ever reigned. Um, one of the generals, one of Alexander's generals, had the boy and his mother poisoned so that Alexander's children, none of Alexander's children ever reigned. Um, and that happened pretty much immediately. And the Greek empire was broken into, you guessed it, four nations under four generals, Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucid, and Ptolemy. Those four generals. Just like he said. Then the king of the south, Ptolemy, shall be strong. Do you have the picture of the four generals? Can I send that in? Here we go. So these four generals who take over, the king of the south, who would have been Ptolemy, shall be strong. But one of his, meaning Alexander's princes, shall be even stronger. Exactly like it happened. Ptolemy, who took over the whole area of Egypt, um, though very powerful. Seleucid was even more powerful. 
And he shall rule, and his authority shall be great authority. After some years, they shall make an alliance. And listen to this. And the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm. Uh, prophetic language, strength of arm, means influence or power. I don't think that's strange. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. So, I'm going to do this this time. I won't go into this much detail with all of them. Um, but this, I want you to see how much detail Daniel is putting hundreds of years in advance. So, one of the things that happens between the Seleucid king and the Ptolemaic king, as is typical of the old kingdoms, the accounts are strange and skewed. Now, I also want to comment real quick and say, all our lives are strange and skewed. Um, I think that's an important thing. It struck me as interesting years ago, and this is one of our mottos at the Counseling Center, um, is that um, is Tom Clancy's statement, a quote by Tom Clancy, when he said, the difference between fiction and reality is that fiction has to be believable. Um, all of us have had things in our life that if it was in a book, you would go, yeah, right, whatever. Somebody else would read it and be like, that would never happen. But it did happen. We all have examples of that in our life. Our lives are like that. Here is the connection. Listen to this. A Seleucid king, one of the Seleucid kings, put away his wife and two sons and instead, in an effort at peace, married Ptolemy's daughter. So remember the king of the south, Ptolemy, his, one of his daughters is going to go to the king of the north, Seleucid, and they're going to now have an agreement through that. That's what happened. However, the new wife was not able to maintain her influence with the Seleucid king. He lost, she lost favor with him very quickly, and he brought back his original wife and children. So the woman lost her influence with the king very quickly, just as Daniel said. But Daniel also said that the man, the king, would then lose his influence and authority. Well, the wife that he brought back was so destabilized by the fact that she could be sent away and called back that quickly and that her children could go from being the heir to the throne to being nobodies to being heir to the throne, that while she was in favor, she got ahead of the horse here and went ahead and poisoned her husband and killed him. So that now her status would be safe and the status of her sons would be safe. And in fact, one of her sons is does become the next ruler, though she... Her influence with both her father, who's mad about her doing this, and her husband, who's dead, um, does not go well. And so she loses her influence, again, just as the passage said, in that much detail. Now, this is, this is weird. It's remarkable how similar the event that Daniel gets predicted is into the account. Many have looked elsewhere for a more meaningful answer, and perhaps there is one. This is what makes this strange is, so far as we can tell, this has almost no impact on the people of Israel. And the prophecies that we see in Daniel almost always are directly consequential to the people of Israel. Maybe this is as simple as, I told you this would happen. Remember, we, remember if you go think back over a year ago when I taught through my understanding of prophecy in general, that one of its many purposes is to let us know we're in good hands to let us know we're on the right path, to let us know God's still in control. So I use the analogy of telling, telling you to drive to Tuscaloosa. If you've never been to Tuscaloosa, that I go say, just go up to I-20 and turn right to take the second exit into Tuscaloosa. That that would be a horrific drive because you're like, if I've never been, like, 
well, how far do I have to go and how long is it going to take? And, how will I, and you get caught up in your music and you're singing and rocking and you realize, I've just missed four exits. I wonder if one of those was the exit for Tuscaloosa. And so you'd be like panicked and the whole trip would just be a nightmare. But, and what I did is I won't go through the whole thing, but if I gave you certain markers to be looking for, hey, after a little while, there's going to be a concrete city and, and it's going to have boats on land. I know that's strange, but that, I'm telling you, there's going to be boats on land. And then you're going to go cross, you drive through a, a whole long way where it's going to sound like you're on a bridge the whole time. The roads are so bad, it's going to be thump, 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 thump the whole time you're driving. And then you're going to come to a bridge, and it's a big bridge. I mean, it's an impressive bridge, and when you see it, you'll know, okay, I'm still on the right road. You're, I'm on the right direction. And so you would leave here, and you would turn right on I-20, and you'd be going a while, and you'd be thinking, uh-oh, I've not seen this concrete city. What the heck is he talking about? A concrete city with boats on land, right, whatever the... And then you get to Shreveport, and you would go, oh... Well, there's a boat. On, look at that. That's what he said it would be like. That was not believable, but, it's, but it turns out to be. And then you're driving through Louisiana, and you're hitting the seams in the concrete every 10 feet at 60 miles an hour. And you, you're going, man, this is annoying. But it's also kind of comforting. Like, I, I, it keeps reminding me I'm on the right. And you'd pass over bridges, and you would go, I wonder if this is the bridge he meant. And I'll just tell you, if you're still wondering if it's the bridge I meant, it's not. <clears throat> when you get to the bridge I mean, you'll know it. And you're going... Could that have been? The, wow, that was quite a, well, that was a big bridge. I wonder if that was the, and then you come to the Mississippi River Bridge and you go, oh, maybe this is just the Mississippi River Bridge. Maybe this is just a credible and crazy, unlikely event that's never going to happen. There's no such thing as a concrete city with boats on dry land, whatever. But when you run into it, the more unlikely, the more outlandish, the more detailed, the more likely you're going to go, Oh, we're on the right place. And maybe that's what this is. Maybe this prophecy is for the people of Israel that when they're facing the hardships of Antiochus Epiphanes later, that they're able to say, remember, he said this stuff was going to happen. And from verse 7, and from a branch of her roots, one shall arise in his place, and he shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north. He shall deal with them and shall prevail, and he will carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. But then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but then shall return to his land. I'm telling you, this like this is these are chapter headings, paragraph headings in a Greek history book. The two kings were at war for decades, two kingdoms. In 243, the southern kingdom was successful in victories and were able to bring back significant spoils, just like the prophecy said. It is said that Ptolemy had given great gifts and sacrifices to the Jewish God after this victory, and maybe that's part of why it got mentioned. So this section shows the power of the wars over the next generations that are happening. It includes Antiochus I and the second, Seleucus II, Seleucus III, Antiochus III, the self-proclaimed the Great. Remember him? Calls himself the Great. And four, the man who we know as Antiochus Epiphanes, who we will come back to again, because he is very important to the Jews. This section of Daniel 11 sounds so much like a historical explanation of the rise and fall of the Greek empire that it's been motivated, it has motivated secular historians to say that it had to have been written after the events. It had to have been written after the events happened, which I totally understand. If, if I didn't believe in the power of God to prophesy things that had not happened yet, I would have the same conclusion. The problem is, even outside of my general faith in Scripture, that would require, I've talked about this, that would require me to also believe that something that was written at a certain time, that within 20 or 30 years, practicing Jews are treating it as Scripture. 
And that is not how that works. It would, be, it would be something like if I said, guys, we need to add the Chronicles of Narnia to the Bible. You know what? C.S. Lewis is awesome. He just is. We love C.S. Lewis. We also love Tolkien. Let's add in Lord of the Rings. We think it should be in the Bible. You know what? There's a, there's a hidden king. He's in the land of the dead for three days. This all fits. Let's, let's, go with, let's go with Lord of the Rings being in the Bible. And one, it would require all of you to go, okay. And then later, 30 years from now, when you're a pastor, that you're teaching that that is Scripture. That's what it would require. I don't think I could pull that off now. And we aren't Jews who took this stuff even more seriously than we do. This was not some, I just, I cannot buy that that's the reasonable answer. I literally believe the more reasonable answer is that there is a God and he has spoken and there's a, there are prophecies being given and that's what happened. I, I, I think that's actually the more rational answer. So we could go through every line of this and you could give a name to the battle and you could show why it was done, done the way that it was done and how it played out. I'm telling you. And in fact, if you're interested in a little taste of that, you can study this. There are whole classes, whole college classes on the rise and fall of the Greek Empire, if that's what you want to study. And you'll go through it going, wow, that's, <coughs> that's what Daniel said. Oh, and look at that. That's what Daniel said. A quicker one, if you're interested, there's about a 13-minute version of it on YouTube. The rise and fall of the Seleucid Empire. It is not about the Bible. It's about the rise and fall of the Seleucid Empire. But if you want to sit with your Daniel over here, and you want to watch this 13-minute video, and you'll go... Yep, 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 as you watch each thing played out. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. So it's called The Rise and Fall of the Seleucid Empire by Epithemius. I don't think that's his real name personally. I think he's trying to sound Greek. Epithemius, um, and it's on YouTube. So it's, it's well done. It's an easy one. If you, 13 minutes, you can get a little bit behind it. Or you can spend the rest of your life studying The Rise and Fall of the Greek Empire if you want to. Here's what I want us to focus on. So we're going to be, each, each section of this, I'm going to go, I'm just essentially going to teach until I run out of time, um, and then look back on what it is that we think God is, is teaching us and showing us through this. I do think there's great power for us in this day and age. As the meme says, if, if we would just read our Bible, none of this stuff would catch us off guard. Certainly not the attitude or the lostness of the world, or a lost world behaving like a lost world or a, a, a secular world and an irreligious world deciding that the church is, is just a pain in the rear end and they don't like us anymore. I don't, I, none of that should be surprising. It's how it's always been. And so for us to recognize um, that that's how that's going to play out and that everybody's going to be creating their own religion in order to avoid trying to follow God, um, that that's normal. Also think from today, and we can see that this, that has been prophesied to us in general by the same God who prophesied in specific to Daniel these things. So as we look to the future, and when we get there in Daniel chapter 12, and as we cross over into some other passages and see, there is a God who is still in control and who knows what's coming, and we can be comforted. And when we hit the Mississippi River Bridge, and we hit moments like this, we don't panic. Others panic. We don't panic. We are at peace. It's just proof that the God who we serve is the one who has spoken. So for us, what we want to be able to experience is peace when no one else does because we believe that there is a pillar of strength. There is a city on a hill called His church, and we're a part of that, and we want to be able to give that light. The power of a God who knows cannot be overestimated. And then I think probably a part of it is that we would go ahead and schedule a meeting with the Trinity sooner rather than later. So we'll do that now. 
If you'll stand, we'll have a quick check-in, quick meeting with the Trinity, and ask Him to ask God to lead us and guide us as we're seeking to live this out um, in a troubled time. That we would be a, a city on a hill, that we would be light in darkness. Um, so let's pray that, Father. Thank you for the power of your word. God, I know that we are in the end days. We've been in the end days for a long time. We may still be in the end days for a long time. Or things may be wrapping up. We'd be fine with that. Lord, I pray that you would teach us um, to number our days and to look to you and to encourage one another and challenge one another so long as it's called today. God, I pray we would encourage one another to do good things. I pray you would continue to bless what you've called us to, and that you'd strengthen us to live out that calling. I pray for this church, that this church would stay strong, that even as we face the pressures we face, that we would not be washed to and fro, that we would represent you well, as stable, as being at peace, steadfast. Um, Lord, I pray we would trust in you for all of it. Thank you, Father. We love you. We praise you. um, And we're so grateful to you. And we say this in your son's name. Amen.